Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Feeling Scene podcast, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And I have such an exciting uh, co-host with me today. Uh, you might know her work. Maybe you were uh, at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater when she was starting her career, like under like under the tutelage era, I believe, of like Amy Poehler, like that UCB era. That's right. Oh, that UC. Yes, the OG. beginning, the foundation of what kind of has brought us so much comedy that we know and love today. Um, maybe you remember her wonderful show, Playing House, from you on USA. Maybe you remember the show Best Friends Forever, which was also a Lennon Parham collaboration. Maybe you've seen her on any number of television episodes that she has been on over many years. Writer, comic, podcaster, actor, Jessica St. Clair. Uh, what else? I mean, you have, you, there's there was Womp It Up. There, there is currently Deep Dive. The Deep there's Dive. There's currently Deep Dive Pod. Well, what know, else do you need to know before we get started? We're calling ourselves lately Entertainer. We're an ent- I'm an entertainer. Yeah. Okay, I decided let's drop all the hyphenates and let's just say what, just like Sammy Davis Jr., <laughs> I'm an entertainer. Okay? Now, with the multi-hyphenate polymath entertainer sort of credentials yes. of professionals mm-hmm. these days, when did you realize the kickover was happening to where you were like, fuck it, I just got to say entertainer at this point? Well, Danielle Schneider of mm. Bitch Sesh, um, she made this proclamation in a pool in Miami. <laughs> She was leaning back against the cement and said, you know what? From now on, I'm an entertainer. That's what I strive to do in life. And I said, that's great. So I'm going to get little desk plates, you know, (laughs) made up for all of us. And maybe just I I love the idea of a business card that just says entertainer. No way to contact (laughs) me. Just that. Like I've entertained you and now that's it. You'll never see me again. The my end of the contractual <laughs> obligation is fulfilled. Yes, entertainer yes. feels very old Hollywood. Like I, I finally recently yes. watched uh, Victor Victoria for the first time. Oh, and that yeah. is that is a movie of entertainers. Yeah, I mean, like I think normally you would think of an entertainer having like you know musical dancing, all of that. I don't have <laughs> any of that. All I have is the ability <laughs> to mm-hmm, be myself mm-hmm. in every single role, in every single thing. I have no range. <laughs> I said to Tony Collette once in that show she was United oh God, States of Terra, which United you were States in of Terra at one point. Yeah, I was in a couple episodes and she I did do a scene with her and she immediately started to like improv cry yeah. in it. And I in between takes, I said, you know, I'm not really what you'd call an actor. <laughs> and she was like, what are you talking? She looks so upset. Just like, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't know necessarily how to quote unquote <laughs> yeah. act. She's like, well, then. Okay. So yeah, I don't have any of the skills, but I just feel like I have the the vibe of an entertainer. I, I mean, I think that vibe really comes across. And so I think you're really succeeding Thanks. in the mandate of the n- nameplate Thanks. entertainer, Jessica St. Clair. Yes, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Friendship is something that comes up a lot on this podcast. That is the core yes. sort of focus alignment of my life are the friendships in it. We talk about friendship love stories on here a lot. I will draw the conversation to those as much as I can. It's sort of my default Thank procedure. God. And Thank you God. have really done an incredible thing in my estimation of making a career that revolves around friendship and making art with your friends oh, and you. doing doing jobs with your friends, creating things with like, tell me about making a career out of friendships. I want, I need to know so I can take notes. I, so you can do it. I have to tell you that friendship and specifically 
having best girlfriends has been the joy of my life since mm-hmm. I was like able to speak. I've always had a best friend who was like, I, I call them my emotional bodyguards, <laughs> yeah. you know, often like they had no choice in the matter. I pursued them. Yeah, I call my friends my like emotional a, hostages. So a hundred percent like I, you know, I pursued them like a jungle cat would stalking them. They didn't even know it before it was too late. Same. You know, yeah, I'd gotten them in the jugular, you know, Um, I just took a new one to lunch today and I could see and I felt almost sad for her. Like she doesn't even know what's happening right now. I know that (laughs) I'm I'm a couple months into a new acquire acquisition, a new friend acquisition and couldn't be more excited about it. Oh, it's full, just like the full court press mode of like, oh, so you're forever. And they don't even know it yet. I said to Lennon. Within probably mm, five minutes, 10 minutes of our first like meeting yeah. as like to to see if we wanted to write together, I said, I, I, I think we're going to write together for the rest of our lives. <laughs> I did. I said that out loud. I said, I think we're going to be best friends and like, right. And she was like, can I have a minute to think about this? Like she and then I told my husband, she was like, well, you'll never see her. Again. <laughs> you'll never see her again. That's the craziest thing. But yeah, so I fall and I fall hard yep. and the the shows that and the movies that I loved were always about female friendship. And I was just thinking like, oh, I should have said, you know, um, well, Anne of Green Gables, of course, is my OG. Mm-hmm. But then there's obviously Beaches, mm-hmm. you know, and then a Steady Diet of uh, I Love Lucy mm-hmm. and Laverne and Shirley and Kate and Allie. So those all really spoke to me. Um and, you know, obviously, like, you you know, boyfriends came and went. Mm-hmm. But I, I also, when I have a best friend, they stay for life. Yeah. So so you just get more. It's <laughs> yeah, not like I lose. It's not, I'm like the opposite of Marie condoing my girlfriendships. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just continue to, I never purge. No. It's a big, it's a big platonic polyamory sect. A hundred percent. Yeah. And we all, like, give each other different things mm-hmm. and kind of like you know some days you're with that wife and some days you're with that <laughs> yeah. wife sometimes you're in the mood for that flavor of wife exactly and sometimes, you know and so yeah and, and then I, I always wanted to to have that and I I never thought I would mm-hmm. I started out writing with Jason Manzukis, who is also like a girlfriend <laughs> um, and I knew him since college mm-hmm. and we wrote some really wonderful like you know fun uh, male-female friendship yeah. stories. Um, and then when we stopped writing together, I, I dreamed of that girl and I didn't think she existed. And then I found her in Lennon mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she also was raised on all of those things and desperately wants. So then we start writing together and that was just like, I felt like my life's purpose was mm-hmm. happening. Yep. You know, to celebrate and give and and when we were writing for the first time, like there really wasn't that on television anymore. Yeah. So it was very much like, girls fighting each other mm-hmm. you know the slut the nerd the you know whatever the the bitchy girl and they were all friends somehow but it wasn't <laughs> yeah. you know it was about pitting women against each mm-hmm. other and so and then I remember when our show came out girls came out now of course it was wildly more successful than ours <laughs> but I but that was you know it was all that kind of thing was brewing mm-hmm. and then and then Broad City which came out at UCB yeah. So, yeah, so I wrote those stories and that was so amazing. And it felt like it also connected us mm-hmm. to all of these 
strangers who were best friends, yeah. you know, and and so that was a really beautiful thing, too, which was we even more expanded out our Marvel verse mm-hmm. um, to these people we didn't even know. And then I did the deep dive with June and that obviously June is one of my best friends. And then when I moved to to L.A., mm-hmm. I I was able to deepen my friendships with all these girls I'd known at the UCB right. in New York, but never really had the time to get to know them because we were too busy, you know, like living the New York dream. Yeah. You come to L.A. and everyone's crying in their cars and Target parking lots. And so, like, it was just a, I had a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. Yeah. I. I... <laughs> yeah. And so. So, yes, we've been so lucky to really get to work with each other and even more so as we get older, because I think we really love the idea of being entrepreneurs on our own. You know, and it'll be the only hyphen that will come in is entertainers, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, merch queen, <laughs> merchandise. I'm really into merchandise these days, you know, well, production schedules, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. I will I will yeah. get this into the our conversation which is yeah. what I find is like you we have a, a host of characters that you brought for us to discuss today. Yes. Where I the ones that, like and you know like you mentioned beaches my god my heart just yes. stopped and you even just said it. But like we got we have like Ladybird from Ladybird. We have Sally oh, god, I forgot I mentioned of that when one. Harry met yeah. Sally and we have Anne from Anne of Green Gables. Yes. And a point yes. of interest that I had between when Harry met Sally and Anne of Green Gables is both of these are stories that extend over these long periods of time. And I wanted to hear oh. from you about the draw of these programs where you're watching women come of age, not necessarily just in like the context of a prom kind of thing or, or the context of like a romantic relationship, but the coming of age that honors the passage of time within the narrative. And I wanted to hear about that appeal for you. Well, I love that angle. I never would have seen that those threads, but I I think we all use movies as like a you know a a template for Mm -hmm. what your life could be like Mm -hmm. so for instance you know Sally of When Harry Met Sally I mean she just was like the ultimate of what it would be like to be living in New York in your 30s and like would you be wearing hats and a vest (laughs) with also a blazer on top of that vest and you know so I think that but but I really love stories and we would try to do this with playing house where like where you began the season mm-hmm. was was the opposite of where you ended. Mm-hmm. So you our characters, I wanted to see them grow and change and learn mm-hmm. because I felt like that's what I loved about about uh, art is that you could learn lessons mm-hmm. from these people and hopefully not make exactly the same mistakes. <laughs> um, so and I feel like with Anna Green Gables, it's like I found her when I was. 10 possibly and then I then I became obsessed with it and and of course I would watch it and I was connecting to the Anne who was 12 and 13 but then I'm watching her get to be older and get married and all that and so I found different resonance every year that I would watch Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. and and that was my movie I would like if I had had a rough day at school my parents would know because I'd be in the TV room and God bless the 80s. We loved a TV. We room. loved a TV. We the TV room was downstairs. That was where I hung out. Carpeted. Yeah. Couches that had like the imprint of like the asses of <laughs> yeah. your generation. Yeah, it was the old couch that had been moved to the downstairs TV room because old the living room got the new couch. That's right. So like they would know like, oh, God, she's in the TV room, like under one of those Afghans that like I don't even know who did it, that thing. And also like it didn't really keep any warmth in because there's so many holes in those things. 
Yeah, the poorest Afghan on top of me, and I would just be like watching it in Green because <laughs> for some reason, like she comforted me in that she would make so many mistakes. Yeah, I mean, and that's all it really is is like an episodic <laughs> that they s- strung together of her like dyeing her hair the wrong color and <laughs> you know not realizing she loved the man she was supposed to love, like all the things, falling off the the ridge pole, you know, and breaking her ankle, breaking a slate over some kid's head. How dare you! Anne, Shirley, what is the meaning of this? It was my fault, sir. I I was teasing her. Stand at the blackboard for the rest of the day. I will not tolerate this kind of vindictive temperament in my class. Anne Shirley has a very bad temper. And she will learn to control it. You will write this 100 times before leaving today. So with all of those mistakes she made, she still somehow, you know, came out on top. Mm -hmm. So that would be a real comfort to me. Um... Also, the idea that she was so outspoken. It's so interesting because Japan, like, is an obsession with Anne of Green Gables. Really? It's big, it's a big it's a big title there? Huge. Wow. Huge. I love there's that an Anne of Green an Gables. Export. Yeah. in Dis- I don't know if it's in the Disneyland or there's an Anne of Green Gables world you can visit. <laughs> and when I, I actually dragged my parents to, uh, to Prince Edward Island, not once, but twice, <laughs> to see where the actual house uh-huh. is of Green Gables and everything. And in the uh, hotel we were in, it was us, a famous sumo wrestler had come. Wow. And then all of these Japanese tourists who were there to get married. Oh. In the style of Anne of wait, Green Gables. Like, I was going to say, you, wait, like get married like in an Anne of Green yeah. Gables way? That's exactly right, <laughs> which I'm really upset I didn't do. I mean, I did as close as I could, like, get my husband to do. We definitely we got we got married in a place that looked like the set of M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. <laughs> it was like the blacksmiths, like they brought all of the weird like things from the 1800s, like yeah. to a place. And and I think all of it was Dan was like, wait, 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 wait. this place is definitely haunted. And I'm like, congratulations, we're getting married. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you guys had already been together for a long time at that point. Yeah, he was like, oh, there's a real, okay, fine. Yeah, there's a real, like, magic in that. Like, there's so much familiarity that it's like, it's like, I am so not surprised that we have ended no. up in this situation together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so anyway, so that, so, yeah, I think that's it is, like, when you're somebody who makes so many mistakes <laughs> and, you know, thinks, speaks before they think and all of those things and leaps before they look, it's great to watch a character go through that, make the mistakes, and then come out okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With the right, you know, the love of their life intact yeah. <laughs> and the job they want to have and all of that, it was very comforting to me. Well, I think we have, I think that 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 pulls through over into, into a movie like Lady Bird where we have two, the wonderful, like much more late 2010s kind of situation, like the riv- revival of like the, the women's friendship narrative with the yes. like to that point like the love of lady bird's life is intact like she she and beanie found their way back to each other like the friendship oh. core is in place to send her off to new york city and that yes. you know that there's like an exiting a dramatic exit of a prom in that movie to come and have a sleepover with your best friend oh god i love that so much and and i also am very moved well 
the what Lady Bird really spoke to me was the mother daughter relationship. Oh, man, wow! Because within the first thirty seconds of that movie, I said to myself, "She's going to throw herself out, out of that moving car." Because I knew? have yes. <laughs> I have jumped out of <laughs> multiple moving vehicles. You're not even worth state tuition, Christine. My name is Lady Bird. Uh, well, actually, it's not, and it's ridiculous. Call me Lady Bird like Christine. you said you would. Just, you should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College and then to jail and then back to City College, and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. <laughs> My mother and I love each other fiercely, but I was, I was a tough cookie okay. to parent and mother and i had a temper much like Anne <laughs> and sally for that matter oh yeah and um yeah i've i have had to exit vehicles <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> jump into what i didn't realize was a a, a, a ditch <laughs> off a country road you know and just like wound up in a gully you know so yeah and so but but i and in what I've written, I've, it's always been very important to Lennon and I that no matter what conflict goes on between these characters, like they love each other fiercely at the end of it. Yeah. And it's almost like the mistakes they make are because they love each other too much. Yeah, yeah. It's not like they're they're at each other's throats because they don't get each other. It's almost like they, yeah, they they love too hard mm -hmm. and and have to realize that they need to kind of adjust. Mm -hmm to let each other be who they're going to be, you know? Well, that's such a, um, that's such a, I, I find that to be, that that for me is such a, a special kind of thing to see because like with, with Playing House, it was it was these two women, like basically like Lennon's character is helping you raise your child and you're, you're, you're raising this kid as two best friends. And then that's the right. story goes on into like, it, it mirrors your own experience having been diagnosed with breast cancer and getting through that mm -hmm. treatment, which is something that Lennon was with you for every step of the way. And there is, I thought yes. that there was something... I watched an interview that you guys did on Jimmy Kimmel talking about the season of the show. I think like when it came out, it was yes. like active promotion. And there was like you were it was the story of like how Lennon picked out my breast implants for my reconstructive yeah. surgery. And yes. there was just like a tiny tick of a moment that I feel like not everybody's going to dial into it. But Jimmy is like, wait, why was she with you? <laughs> so then she locked eyes with me. Right. She's like, yeah, All right, get over here. And I'm like, what? No, I'm well, not well, picking well, out your boob. Why I were you there in the first place? Well, that was like the way I could contribute. I you know, see. When bad stuff happens. You got to just be there. Yes. You don't know what you're doing. You're like, who needs a, 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 a basket of biscuits, you right. know, <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. And I was like, I know. And, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Why wouldn't she be like she? Of course she was. There. And it just like and exactly like and I like I that moment sort of like took over my whole mind in the interview because I was like, the fact of that question is the underscoring of how we have such limited language around intimacy and what it means and who is invited into it and who it belongs to and how people can share it. Because so much of our fiction is dedicated to this very normative sense of like, it's a married couple against the world and they raise their child alone together. And you have your one person who you invest every secret in and your well-being is tied to them instead of like 
chosen family community. And I'm a, I'm a, I'll say it every chance I get. I'm a panromantic gray asexual person, like dating and sex. That's that. really. I'm gonna start saying that. I'm gonna say that. <laughs> we were a big tent, and we're looking for more public representatives. Yeah, so absolutely, we, we invite you. Uh, so sex and and dating has never been a part of my life, but like I have been in love so many times in my life from the friendships mm. within it. And so to just like have you having this really normal in your life story to share, like normal yet extraordinary for something like playing house and then to be talking about it and have the very like heteronormative perspective injected in very polite question of just like, why was she with you? It's like, why is the husband the only one in the room? Why? Why is you that have true to have the best friend? You have to. And and the greatest thing was that we could all do different things, Yeah, you know, because we my husband and I were so just in shock. Yeah. We we were in the moment, but but Lenin could take the notes, yeah. you know, and remind us back what we were what we had been told. And you guys have been and you all, and your husband have been together, I believe, since you were about like 20. So like this is. Yes. God, you're deep yeah, we've into been it. Together 26 years. 26 years. 26 years. Yes. But he was so happy to have Lennon there. But it was funny because at first they thought that Lennon and I were a lesbian couple because <laughs> my husband was trying to get home from New York. Okay. And so, and I kept talking about our daughters. <laughs> yeah. Our daughters are just one and a half years old. And like, cause, and, and our health insurance. Yeah. And so they were like, this is the best like lesbian couple we've ever met like they were like these two you know and I think we were getting the red carpet treatment because of it and then Dan showed up the next day they were like who's this and then it was like interloper is this like a a queen bee scenario where we all serve her like I don't know what this is but then it then we were just like we're rolling yeah we're rolling three deep like we're all making decisions you know together as a team and mm-hmm. i couldn't be more thankful and then of course it wasn't just lennon it was yeah my greater group that i was just talking about mm-hmm. the marvel verse mm-hmm. you know the bird bones the lindsey sloan's <laughs> the danielle schneider's the casey wilson's mm-hmm. the june diane raphael's like the melissa roush like they were all there in chemo every you know they were just they never left my side so yeah i mean but that was almost like when people talk about some people don't have that amount of support you no. know, and so I I realized how lucky I was, you know, every minute of the day. And I do realize it's not it's it's not um, as common as you would think. No, that you'd almost have too many people trying to help mm-hmm. you. Um, b- but I would also say that it's very difficult and it was even difficult for me to accept the help and to ask for it. Mm-hmm. So I encourage people all the time to to that your girlfriends, especially they want to help you. Yeah. And I should say, not just my girlfriends, Josh Levine, my uncle Josh, as the deep divers know him, like, mm-hmm. of course he was there. Of course, you know, yeah. He's number one. Um, but yeah, you have to let them yeah. help you. And that, and I do also think that's what those stories were about too, mm-hmm. the, the, the Lady Bird and Anna Green Gables is they help each other. Yeah. You know, they take turns. Um, being the one in the hot seat. I, I, uh, when my best friend was diagnosed at 31 with uh, voracious breast cancer, eh? and oh, she's she's no in recovery. Thanks. She's it's good now. Mm-hmm. But that was mm-hmm. it was. I live in LA and she lives in San Francisco. And every four weeks we were back up for the chemos and just like you guys have this part on your plate, so I'm going to take care of all the other things that fall through, so you don't have to do those things. Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, it's funny too because like you have you know, and my college best friends, Kristen and. Molly, like they also served a very specific role in that, like they're the friends that like, like Kristen was the one who was like flew up, flew out. And, and again, I wouldn't even say like, yeah, make your flight. They would just show up up. at that point. 
that's the thing. You can't wait. I know this isn't a podcast about accepting help, but <laughs> you really cannot wait for a yes. You just have to book the ticket. Yep. Book the ticket. Yep. You know? And, yeah, I would um, just make the drive. Just make the drive. Just because they'll say no. They'll say, oh, God, I never forget when I got the call that I had gotten that I had had it. Uh, Lennon, I just I was texting people like I have cancer. Like it's crazy text to receive. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, where are you? I'll meet you. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want you driving in rush hour. Yeah. <laughs> In the rain. It was raining. And she was like, wait, what? Like, but of course she showed up. And then I was so happy she was there. You know, so anyway. But yeah, those are those are stories about girls showing up for each other. Well, and I think, too, that like I, I you know, the the aspect of like, like there's a there's a stubbornness about an Anne and about a Lady Bird and about Lady and, and about Lori Metcalf and about her mother where they're like and you were saying like, I've jumped out of that car because I was a pill when I was young. So like when you were, were you connecting with these, with the obstinance of these characters when you were younger too? 100%. And Marilla Cuthbert Mm. and Laurie Metcalf's character are very similar. Okay. Okay. um, Yeah. In terms of their strength as well, Mm -hmm. because you don't come from nothing. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I am a tough cookie. I'm still a tough cookie. I was a tough cookie to my friends going through this mm-hmm. sometimes, you know. It was very difficult. They had, like, a phone chain about, like, when I would be, like, in Code Red about, like, Googling at night. Yeah. You know, they had a whole thing. Like, there was a whole system going on behind me that was trying to stop me from destroying myself. So, yeah, you know, I think that flawed, I really like flawed women. Mm-hmm. We are not perfect, we, none of us are. I don't. I think the romantic comedy has sold us uh, a bill of goods that, bl- believe me, I eat it up with a spoon. <laughs> but like, you can't have the one flaw that you are is clumsy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean flawed, like sometimes you're selfish and like you lose your temper and you hurt people that you love and those type of flaws. Yeah. Those are the flaws that I think we all connect to as women. Um, there's a book, too, that Elise Lunan just wrote called Seven, The Seven Deadly Sins, but it's all about how women are taught to be good mm-hmm. and perfect, mm-hmm. and we have to suppress all of those nasty sins, mm-hmm. you know, the selfishness and the anger and the sadness even. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I, I, love, I love the characters um, that, that let us see that those part of ourselves. It's time for a quick break. When we get back, we'll hear more about the work Jessica's done with her friends and the things that shaped her own storytelling. And then I will have one quick thing before I go. You know, we say support independent cinema a lot on this podcast, and uh, we're going to acknowledge a little indie called Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Hey, Max Fun listeners, this is Cameron Esposito. I'm a stand-up comic, actor, writer, best-selling author, and podcaster. I got a great show called Query, where I interview LGBTQ plus luminaries across, oh, a bunch of fields. People in entertainment, astronauts, musicians, rock stars. I am bringing the show to Maximum Fun. You can listen right now, and I am so happy to be on this network. We have new episodes out every Monday. You can listen at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. It's official. Max Fun has become a co-op. 
We're now a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you. Thanks to supporters and listeners like you, MaxFun will always be a place where employees have a say. Thanks to you, shows can continue to partner with an independent, values-driven network. Thanks to you, we're able to carry on our commitment to our shows and the community we've grown together. Learn more about what becoming a co-op means for us and you at MaximumFun.org co-op. That's MaximumFun.org C-O-O-P. Welcome back to Feeling Scene. This week, I'm talking with entertainer Jessica St. Clair. She co-created and co-starred in the show Playing House with Lennon Parham, and she's feeling seen by Anne of Green Gables, Lady Bird, and Sally from When Harry Met Sally. Let's jump back into that conversation. A big part of why I wanted to have this this have these conversations with people in, the, in this podcast is the way that like art imprints upon us, and then the people that I talk to that go on to be creators themselves, how they then put into their work the sort of lessons that they've learned or things that they've gleaned along the way. And I was um, reading you talk about like coming through UCB and I was re- uh, listening to your Jesse Thorne interview on, on Bullseye and talking about how there was a sort of initial, like, you know, in that grind of the twenties and it's the nineties and it's like women were kind of competition. It was like, there's one spot yes. for all of us. So like, we better go after it. But then like through that finding a part of this sorority that you would build to take with you over the years. And you said uh, a bit about how you couldn't wait, like once you kind of met Lennon and once you realized like these, this collaborative hive could be there for you and seeing a model in front of you of like Amy Poehler with Tina Fey and Maya Rudolph and Rachel Dratch. And you said that you were like, I can't wait to write stuff that makes me as a woman laugh. And so I wanted to hear about like your own experience being like, I connected with like the flawed characters, like like the Anne and her stubbornness and characters that would resemble like a ladybird and her just like intensely devoted but difficult mother. Did you feel like, was it writing from a place of feeling like there was an absence of that? Or is it just like, no, I just want to do it for myself. Or was it like, no, I just don't feel like I have sufficient options to make me as a woman laugh at the things that I want to engage with? I There was a lot of fear that honestly, that what Lennon and I found so funny would not translate. Yeah, okay. That, that I, I really worried. We were we worried that like the little things because I think like even playing house like there isn't the same setup punchline. <laughs> yeah. There isn't that ironic distance that was also going on in comedy at the oh, time. Yeah. Like there is none of that. It's very like um yeah, it's like Anna Green Gables, it's like a comedic Anna Green Gables. We're obsessed with each other. <laughs> we love, we love Tita Turner. We love Kenny Loggins. We <laughs> we throw, uh, you know, bridal showers with hedgehog cupcakes. It's, it's, I think for women, it's all in the details, mm-hmm. the little details, the fabric of their friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, the inside jokes and the way they finish each other's sentences. Mm-hmm. That's what makes. I think it feel real. That's why like Lennon and I record ourselves and the way we speak to each other. And then that becomes the transcript for our writing is to capture how a best friend duo has their own language, like a secret language. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we really wanted to capture that, but we really worried Mm -hmm. because I think we were also like, Oh, comedy needs to appeal to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and if you don't get the men, then you're not successful. If you don't get the straight men, then you won't be a quote unquote success. And, um, it was so 
heartening to realize that there were all these other weirdos like yeah. us who also had these romantic friendships with women and and saw themselves and had done I mean I still get DMs from people that are like I I met a girl at our pickleball tournament again another <laughs> insane thing we threw like we're going deeper my friends and I are going so much deeper <laughs> into who we really are yes. and the deeper we go the more engagement we have with our fans because i think at the heart of most women uh -huh. we are secret weirdos yeah yeah we have we walk around like normal people yeah but inside <laughs> we are fucking strange yeah and so there's such freedom in being you're letting your freak flag fly i think that is i i'm 38 and i have and oh. i it's I've I've been very lucky to enjoy each era of my life so very much, and it's wonderful. But getting older, kind of fucking rules. It rules. It rules. Like we're I because like if you're I feel like if you're really embracing it, it what you're actually doing every year you get older. If you're really embracing your life as it has gone before to factor it into who you become, you are just getting deeper into who you are, and that is awesome. Yes, friend. Yes. That's why, like, I my favorite movie is still the favorite movie I had when I was 12, <laughs> because I feel like and we always said with playing house, I did, do not mean this to be a playing house podcast, but we always said that these two characters mm -hmm. became best friends when they were children, when they were like six years mm -hmm. old. And that was before the world and society beats out of you yeah. who you really are. Yeah. So we know each other at at our core. It's your purest. At our purest. And so <laughs> then you've got adulthood, which has taken us away from who we really are. But when we get back together with our childhood best friend, mm -hmm. we're able to bring that truest self out from each other again. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of saves saves both of our lives, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it is so important not just to keep your, have close female friendships, but also like those childhood friendships, like they hold a history mm -hmm. of who you were before adult life told you you needed to hide it away. Yeah. Under like an Ann Taylor loft suit, <laughs> yeah. you know? No. Well, I think that, I think such a beautifully like shock to the system part of when Harry met Sally is like, you experience both their points of view, but when you are experiencing it through Billy Joel's, Billy Joel, Billy Crystal's Billy point of view, yes. you are, he is encountering someone who he doesn't know what to do with Sally. Like he doesn't yeah. have a roadmap for Sally. Sally is specific and strange and she, she feels like, what the manic pixie dream girl would be without the misogyny like because yes. she's truly like sally's truly just doing it for sally she's not doing it so zach broff realizes that he can feel again in garden state sort of situation and so like to watch a sally like she is such a she feels like such a triumphant character because she is flawed and she is aware and she's like but i am so completely myself i i simply can't turn me Be off for anything the sake of other. you. That's right. That's right. And at the end of the day, that's what he falls in love yes. with. Yes. All of her quote unquote difficult things. Yeah. I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees out. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. He loves that about her. And that's like what you I think that's what everybody wants, both from their girlfriends and from their 
romantic partner, mm-hmm. which is to that, like, I'm going to show you all of the awful things about me, and I still want you to love me. <laughs> now, I think it's, I would argue it's a lot harder to show it to your romantic partner than it is to your girlfriends. That's sure. why sometimes your girlfriends know you a whole lot better because <laughs> they've seen you totally flip out yeah. in the grossest of ways. In the grossest you know, of ways. I mean, uh, gross. Like the ugly cry mm-hmm. you do reserve a lot of times just for your girlfriend. But yeah, I mean, I think both all of those characters are loved in spite of who they are, because of who they are. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, in the Ladybird friendship, it's like she's been a real shit to Beanie. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Beanie loves her anyway. And she knows that Beanie has her own, you know, limitations. Mm-hmm. And you love and they love each other anyway. And uh, Diana and Anne, they have a hard time Mm -hmm. diana has to stay home and she doesn't get to go to queen's college (laughs) and she has she gets engaged to roly-poly fred right yep and and Anne is very judgmental of that Mm -hmm. you know i can never love anybody as much as i love you Anne. do you really love me of course i do (laughs) nobody's ever loved me for as long as i can remember except for matthew and marilla oh you swear be my secret bosom friend but isn't it wicked to swear we're in enough trouble already but when you're swearing a vow i solemnly swear to remain faithful to my bosom friend diana berry for as long as the sun and the moon shall endure now you say it i solemnly swear to be remain faithful to my bosom friend and surely, for as long as the sun and moon shall endure, shall endure, and as long as my mother doesn't find out, oh, she mustn't. Um, Best friends forever. Our first show that Lennon and I wrote was about what do you do when your best friend marries somebody or gets into a real relationship with somebody, and you are jealous of them. Yeah, yeah. and maybe you wish they didn't exist. At first, in the the distance between making best friends forever and making playing house and having them both be work with Len and Parham and having them both revolve around like these in, like the intimate friendships, how did you find the terrain for w- a women's friendship stories? Was that a different experience between making those two shows? Um, yeah, you know, I don't feel like we would have had the the balls to do playing house if it hadn't been for best friends forever right. first mm-hmm. you know because playing house really felt like the stuff that we loved the most about best friends mm-hmm. forever distilled mm-hmm. like a fine balsamic vinaigrette <laughs> yeah. you know vinegar like a modena you know mm-hmm. balsamic vinegar that's syrupy but even so in order to truly sell Playing House, mm-hmm. we said to USA and to this guy, Jeff Wachtel, who was in charge and he was our godfather, but we said we would rather show you, shoot it and show you than a script. Yeah. Because we knew that the script wouldn't fully capture the re- of the reality of how much these two love each other. Yeah, like, yeah. There aren't as many jokes on the page. Yeah. Like, this isn't going to be like an episode of The Office. You're not going to, this isn't Family Guy. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And so he he really trusted us and let us, gave us a very small amount of money. And we <laughs> shot the pilot. 
And that was, I really believe, the only reason it got picked up mm-hmm. was because we showed that and something about that reality came across. Well, I think with, with the, the, the specificity of, of Lennon's delivery and like screen presence, I, there, I don't think you can words on a page are not going to communicate the total value that Lennon Parv is going to bring to an like you 100%. you gotta see or you gotta beat like what she did by doing the the smallest micro business Small. in her veep appearances like oh god could have only look, been her just a look just a look just, <laughs> her, a just look. that look and just going oh that's serious I was like why oh. is this the best comedy <laughs> best she's so good it's crazy and then she's also a great director it's really fucking annoying she really is she's so in control um yeah but yeah that's i think like yeah a line like is that a hedgehog cupcake i'm gonna punch you in the face (laughs) doesn't make any sense yeah unless you see us doing it but i mean honestly like all of those things are Mm ripoffs it's like an amalgamation of every Laverne and Shirley every (laughs) Anna Green Gables every like all of my best girlfriends they love those shows yeah 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 you know my comedian friends we're all sometimes I'm like is that an episode of Gilmore of of not Gilmore Gilmore Girls another one I love but I'm like is that when I pitch something sometimes in a room I'm like did that happen on the Golden Girls like I don't know because it's baked into me yeah yeah it is me. You know, I am it. <laughs> I am it. I I am all of these things. I am all of these 80s movies and shows <laughs> that I consumed at such a like a voracious way. And I'm, I, you know, talk about screen time. Like we could say all we want, but I was mainlining those shows <laughs> and movies. And why? And June and I just talked about this. Like, why were we allowed at like 12 years old to watch beaches by ourselves Fucking on HBO shit, man. over and over again. Like how many Saturday afternoons did I lose to beaches <laughs> just sobbing myself into a migraine? But nobody thought to check on me. Like that's some pretty serious stuff. I mean, I would I would put beaches up there with some of the darkest cinema I have ever experienced. <laughs> nothing Holy. nothing. That is one of those formative impact moments where there's me yeah. before I watched beaches before I experienced yeah. the loss of Barbara Hershey and then there's and me then after po- and then you post. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I hope I hope if I can do anything is to shield my daughter from beaches like or maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) But even they even they as a best friend team is interesting. They were still a product of the 80s in that like they weren't as supportive of each other. There was a lot of jealousy Mm -hmm. in that best friendship that I feel like doesn't exist in most friendships, in most friendships yeah friendships? they would they wouldn't necessarily be friendships hundred percent i almost feel like maybe a man came in and wrote that scene <laughs> yeah. that fight scene you know what i mean because i just don't think women are like that with their friends but even if you are jealous and believe me i have been jealous of my friends yeah. at certain times like we have had tough moments uh-huh. but but i think ultimately when you're jealous of a friend and again ann and diana go through that it's less it's like, yes, you want what they have, mm-hmm. but really you want what they have because to not be similar is so painful. Yeah, there is. That is such a that blurring of your identities with one another is like it's not necessarily healthy, but it's a feature, not a bug. It like the yes. merging is it's kind of the point in, in some extents, like not knowing where one ends and the other begins is not something that's avoided. It's something that's kind of. Foster. It's 
Exactly. And it apparently, according to, there's this great book called Are You Wearing That? Oh, okay. Or You're Wearing That, it's called, question mark. And it's basically this linguist who studied women speaking to each other, but specifically mothers and daughters. Oh, wow. And and they were talking about, she she does, she records little girls and they, they love to mirror each other. Like if one says... Yeah. I have contacts. Uh-huh. The other one says, I have contacts too. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to be the same. You have to be the same. And with boys, they one up each other. So like, yeah. you know, I, I, I was, I was able to make that point. I made that point yesterday. Yeah. Like they, so I think that that same, same, same yeah. is great. But then life does bring in <laughs> these times where we are on different paths. You know, same with Lady Bird and Beanie. Mm-hmm. She's they're on different paths in terms of dating. Mm-hmm. Diana and Anne. Anne is on her own path in terms of her career. That was also she's she's an outlier. Mm-hmm. I think that I really connected to because I was going to ask if the the aspect of the outlier figure was something that really spoke to you. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. I felt like you know what Victorian society is not that far from what it's like to grow up in suburban New Jersey. <laughs> No, in suburban New Jersey, it's like everyone is the same. If you are a secret weirdo, you got to keep it hidden. If you ask a lot of people I went to high school with that if I was funny, they would be like, no, what are you talking about? I mean, I had to hide, hide, hide that. I still found my 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 best friend to this day is from high school. But but that was a secret life of mine. You know, Um, there there was one copy of Gilda Radner's uh, stand up special at the Met that I watched so many times it broke. I broke video videos, one copy of that VHS. (laughs) I was the only person who rented it. I watched it till it wore out. Um, But yeah, the idea that like I wanted to be something different, that I had something different inside of Mm me. That that definitely connected to uh, Anna Green Gables for sure. And I feel like that I feel like Sally almost becomes like she feels almost aspirational in that way, because I think the thing that sticks me most about that movie now when I watch it is that it's a really she chooses herself movie like like Sally chooses herself over and over again until Billy Crystal can get his shit together enough to realize that she's been right in front of him all along kind of thing. He gets on he gets on the Sally train. She doesn't get on his exactly. train. Exactly. Exactly. Let's let's know that she's looking hot as shit in a strapless blue little number. Okay. Little <laughs> balloon dress. What are those one of those weird gunny sack dresses? <laughs> Okay, she's, you know, she's a she's out on New Year's Eve. He's the one in the sweatsuit running to her, which I love. Exactly. Um, but yeah, she was the, you know, she's the reporter. She's living in that shabby chic apartment, yep. you know, living her but but not married. No. You know, and I loved that about. And that was the the dream of like moving to New York and having that. And I also I always had male friends. I always had uh boys who were my close, close friends. Mm-hmm. Jason Manzukas was was one of those. And so I did love that, that kind of repert, you know, that back and forth between yeah. men and women. I loved the, that they captured, but it was obvious that like Nora Ephron and um, uh, Rob Reiner were friends, mm-hmm. you know, cause there's that, that love between them. But I also think like the fact that she and Carrie Fisher have their own storyline yeah. together, that scene with the two of them in self-help, oh. there's somebody in self-help looking at you. I mean, that just, <laughs> Someone is staring at you in personal growth. I know him. You'd like him. He's married. Who is he? Harry Burns. He's a political consultant. He's cute. He 
think he's cute? How do you know he's married? Because last time I saw him, he was getting married. When was that? Six years ago. So he might not be married anymore. That movie wouldn't be what it was without the best friends. No, it wouldn't. Absolutely. No, 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 no. They're the vital Greek chorus experience contextualizing us the entire time. I have to, oh, really bummed. I have to like ask you a last question right now. But I guess the, the oh final God, thing I would want to close on. on would be yeah. what is the weirdness that you have been most joyfully surprised to discover and be free to unleash about yourself in the process of oh, you diving God. deeper into your own personality? Well, something I'm loving about the deep dive is June and I are both very similar. We were raised very similar Irish Catholic households. Okay. Hers in Long Island. She had a lot more hairspray. She was allowed a lot more eyeliner than I was, which was zero. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But we are leaning in to frivolous things. (laughs) Nails. Pickleball, you know, <laughs> uh, trips to Miami, like <laughs> silly, stupid fun. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like putting myself in uncomfortable, like having been, you know, an Anne of Green Gables, certainly nerd mm-hmm. city. She's working hard, work hard, not so much playing hard. So for <laughs> me, what I'm leaning into is like, what if I just act stupid and do stupid silly things that and tablescaping like i've said now the word tablescape to two men in the last 48 hours i don't know why and they're like wait what is that even that word i'm like i don't need to be a part of this male world yeah i don't want to i don't be. i don't seek to be i don't desire i to don't be. seek to be a part of no. it i could much like california could be coven's own country yeah. You know, there's something to be said for Wonder Woman, you know, the island. I I was just thinking like your MCU is Themyscira, actually. Themyscira, those women are looking fresh. They're keeping their core tight, you know, and they're happy as goddamn clams. So, yeah, like that's it. It's like I'm going even more into being the weirdness of being a woman that's awesome and delighting in the silliness of it because (laughs) it's in those little moments of joy tablescaping getting weird nails you know putting on a sequin dress you have no business in being in you know (laughs) that kind of stuff it's in those things that we celebrate Mm -hmm. with each other yeah you know, we call it being a woman of significance. The women that I have loved in cinema are women of significance. And sometimes being a woman of significance mm-hmm. means going to gay pride in Miami, <laughs> drinking so much rosé, you don't remember most of it. <laughs> I think I'm aging backwards. <laughs> you know? Back to the purity of the six-year-old yes! self. Silliness. Silly fun. Let's have fun because... The last couple of years were some tough <laughs> stoof. <Yeah>. Tooth stoof. <laughs> Jessica St. Clair, thank you so much for coming and spending an hour talking to me. I couldn't be happier about it. This is the best. Jordan, you are such a treat and a treasure. <laughs> and I'm just so glad to have you in my life now. I mean, I'll pursue you, friend. I'm, I am so, you. I am so emotionally available. I If emotionally availability so emo- was the Olympics, I, I would be a fucking best in the me world. Too. You text me, I'm texting you right back. <laughs> You'll hear back within seconds. <laughs> That's second. That's me. That's me. Oh, this has been such a privilege. Thank you so much for your time, Jessica. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you so much again to Jessica St. Clair. What a little dream fulfilled that was. Since my vulture days, I have wanted to have a long conversation uh, with Jessica St. Clair, a co-queen of Playing House, and I feel I feel so satisfied. Thank you, Feeling Seen, yet again for making my personal dreams come true. Take a look at anything in Jessica's filmography, and you are bound to have a good time. And producer Marissa, in particular, hopes that you will watch her on the very underappreciated Avenue 5. So get it together. Uh, You can watch Playing House for free on the Roku channel and listen to The Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts and whenever you want. So take advantage of that. And now, my one quick thing before I go. I, we say, as I noted up top, we say support independent cinema on this podcast. You can do that. You can support independent cinema right now by supporting my independent cinema. You can go uh, rent Give Me an A. Hell, you can buy it on VOD on all reasonable platforms. Get out there and do that. I produced it. It's amazing. We're all very pissed off that uh, women's rights to uh, bodily autonomy, the health of any pregnant person is being jeopardized by anti-abortion legislation and activism. So support that indie cinema right now. But I just got to say, at the dawn of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, I have come to be aware of a number of people some of which I know, some of which I just know from the internet, who have only lately welcomed the Mission Impossible franchise into their lives. They have caught up on 20 plus years of Missions Impossible with Ethan Hunt and the gang. And they too have discovered the greatest American action product franchise set of films of the 21st century uh fast the fast saga is really up there but much as i love the fast films and family and living my my life a quarter mile at a time and uh amazingly queer villain jason momoa in the most recent fast installment somehow the mission impossible series has has basically kept getting better like it started on a great note with the first film uh and it is somehow pretty much only gotten better all of the time for 20 plus years two decades and more since that happened uh yeah what a steady drumbeat of fucking incredible bar raising awesome action that we have been treated to for so many years um by controversial figure but undisputed movie star perhaps the the last true male movie star maybe uh tom cruise i am so excited for this i'm so excited for everyone who is discovering this franchise anew and uh you know it just it goes to show that even tentpole cinema gets away from people sometimes Treat yourself to the wonder of movies. Uh, dear friend of mine, Disaster Girls co-host Amanda Smith has only recently watched the Fast and Transformers franchises for the first time and found those caves of wonders. And support indie cinema, support indie cinema, support indie cinema. We will say it over and over again. But also treat yourself to the discovery <laughs> of big, gigantic movies that you may have missed because sometimes... You just can't be ready for the for the ways that they will satisfy you, for those little buttons of joy they will push in your heart. 
Uh, and this is primo prime time. Where where Bond? Sorry, Brits. Where Bond uh, may have been uneven in the 21st century. Listen, I'm a I'm a diehard Pierce Brosnan Bond girl, uh, and the Craig era is formidable. But listen, those movies sometimes were fine. They always looked amazing, but sometimes they were fine. The Mission Impossible movies always look amazing and always are amazing. And even if you're kind of down on two, that's still a goddamn John Woo movie. So go back and revisit it and maybe with some new eyes. And guess what? MI3, also really good. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is the villain and Carrie Russell is in it. So just go back in and realize that you can have a good, you can have a great time with that film, in fact. So yeah, uh, forever indie cinema, but for now... Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I will see you all at the movies to watch that epic three-hour spectacle. And that is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod, or you can send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.